Amen. Let's pray together, church. Father God in heaven, we love you. We thank you for this morning, Lord. And we are just so good, uh, so glad to be here in your good presence, God. Uh, you are so good to us. And you have shown your power to us in so many ways. Even this, uh, this morning already, God, man, you have just shown your presence here. Uh, you have showed up. You are moving in our midst. And, and God, we want to trust that you would continue to do that as we open the Bible. Lord, we praise you that you are uh, always at work and that you're never asleep, God. You, you don't lose track of time, God. You don't lose track of us. And so, Lord, we just give ourselves into your hands. God, we, uh, we pray for our Chicago public schools. God, we do pray for an end, a resolution to this strike today. God, we pray for that today, that the students and the teachers can get back into school tomorrow. God, we know this has been a very uh, burdensome thing to many. We know there are people on each side of the bargaining table with convictions. And, Lord, we just pray that they would come to be able to compromise, God, in a way that makes sense, that is right. And, Lord, in the meantime, I pray your protection over our children, um, especially our high schoolers. I pray that they would stay home, that they would not get out on the streets. God, we pray that you would watch over them. We pray for our teachers, God, as we know that financially this is going to take a hit on them as they are awaiting a pay period without pay uh, coming their way, Lord. And we pray you would be their provider. Um, Lord, I pray that you would keep unity even in our schools. I'm sure there will be tension among administration and teachers. And Lord, I pray that you would just cut through that. We thank you, Lord, for those who are serving in our church right now as administrators. We have principals here, vice principals. We have uh, teachers. We have security. Um, We have those who are clerks in the offices who are teacher's aides. God, we just ask that you would Bless them, Lord, and ultimately bless the kids and use this time, Lord, even to draw them closer to you. God, uh, as we open your word, God, may our ears be the kind of ears that can hear you and our eyes be the kind of eyes that can see you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Man, how good was singing today, man. I almost lost my voice in one of the songs. I, I had to start lip singing, you know, to keep my, my voice so I could preach with you guys. It's good to be here. My name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at the Brook. Welcome if it's your first time. We're so glad you're here. Um, one other announcement I, I want to uh, mention that we forgot to mention. Um, the men's night is, is Friday, November 8th. That's next Saturday at 10 a.m. We know that uh, a number of our singles are trying to get together over at the Franklin's house. Um, and Candy, Candy, can you raise your hand? Uh, she's going to be leading that up. It's going to be a kind of potluck style brunch. Yeah, so... If, uh, if you're among our singles of the church, just get together and do life, talk life. Uh, we would love for you to connect there with Candy as she's getting together with uh, our men and women who are going to be there. So I think that's going to be a great time of encouragement for you all. Uh, God is doing some great things here, family. He's really at work, and it's evidenced in so many different ways, so many different ways, and uh, I just praise God for it. This past week, I put out on Facebook asking people to share their best DIY fails, the do-it-yourself failure stories in your lives. Um, I've, as I think about DIYing, I think of somebody in our church who's actually a, a master DIYer. If you know David Duran here at the Brook, he is the DIY king. If it's on YouTube, he knows how to do it. It's just like that simple. Um, to add to that, he's delivered two of his kids at his own house. This dude like, like, did you watch a video for that? How do you do this stuff, bro? And then there's other people like myself who try to DIY. And no video could help me with it. I'm just bad at it, all right? And some of you are grinning because you know you're bad at it too. 
So some of the DIY fails uh, that we saw had to do with making wedding favors. Um, someone said that they're trying to do a, a, a spoon and a Hershey kiss at their wedding. So, so people can, each person got a spoon and a Hershey. So it could say, say something like, but put the scoop of love. So people just got a spoon and a kiss and they didn't know what that was for. So how about someone trying to do their own haircuts? Any, any of us have a DIY haircut fail? That pumpkin pie haircut looking kid you got? That happens. Uh, hanging wallpaper, or someone at the brook told me, say, hey, I got, I got a story for you. They said, uh, we were trying to install a washing machine at our house, and uh, another brother from the brook was helping me out. And so we pulled out the old washing machine. It was on a ledge, so one had to hold it, while another one had the other washing machine on the, on the ledge, and they unscrewed the, the hot water, but realized they had forgotten to take it, turn it off. So the hot water starts shooting at them, but they both are having washing machines in their hand, and no one there to turn it off. So they get, they're getting scalded and burned, and eventually the wife came and helped out. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yes. You, you've got your DIY fail stories, and if you don't uh, keep at it, it'll come your way. Trust me. Uh, when I think about DIYing, we do it because it saves money, doesn't it? You do it yourself, man, you save a whole lot of money. But the worst thing is when you spend some money to save money, you did it wrong, and then you got to hire someone to do it right, and you end up spending more money than you would have done the first time. Yes, been there, done that. I've got some DIY fails I won't tell you because they are still alive and active at the house, and I don't want you coming over seeing them, all right? When it comes to DIYing, a lot of times it just doesn't work because it's not the, we, we don't know how to pull it off. We can't do it ourselves. We haven't got the skill set. When it comes to God's will... Similarly, we can't DIY it. When it comes to God's timing in our lives, we just can't do it yourself. You ever been in a place where you're like, God, you're taking long. I need to make this happen myself. You ever DIY God's timing and what was a shortcut, shortcut ended up as a road trip for you? You know, you, you thought you were making things quicker and you ended up making it worse. I don't know if you guys are here with me today because I know some of y'all have done that. Come on. You see, we take matters into our own hands, we're actually attempting to take them out of God's hands. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? And so a lot of times we come to the belief that God's delayed timing is actually his betrayed timing. We, we think that because God's taking it long, he's betrayed his will in our lives. And some of us feel like, man, God is really made it clear this is what he wants for me in my life, but it's not shaping out that way. And really what he's telling you is to wait on him. Don't DIY it. Don't force and impose your will on God's timing. Because when we do that, you end up messing things up. So today I want us to talk about what we do when it feels like God's taking long. What do we do when it seems that his timing is not shaping up the way we would expect it to shape up. What I love is in the, book, in the Bible, God shares with us different kinds of peoples and stories that relate to our lives. And we've been talking about a man by the name of David, a man who had been anointed to become the next king of Israel, but his timing to that throne was delayed because there was another king in place. And what ends up happening is that David has to wait on God. And he has different times in his life where he's questioning, do I need to do this myself? Do I need to DIY my throne? 
Well, would you turn your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 24. It's on page 246 in the blue Bibles in the chairs in front of you. To turn there, uh, I want us to think about this, family. I think all of us would say, God, I want what you want for my life. But wanting what God wants forces us to do things his way, to wait on his timing. Would you stand to your feet as you get there to 1 Samuel chapter 24? And let's see what we've got to do when we're waiting on God. 1 Samuel chapter 24, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 to start us out here. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the, in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfold, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Yes, you read that correctly. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and he shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. This is God's word for us, church family. You may be seated. David had been given the promise that he was going to be the next king of Israel. But what it turns out to be is that for the next five to ten years of his life, he finds himself running and hiding from the current king of Israel, a guy by the name of Saul. Not only was he hiding from him, but David lived lived these five to ten years with a bounty on his head. I mean, can you imagine the pressures that he faced? Last week we saw that as David was hiding, people came to find refuge with David. About 400 people came to him, and then another 200, to the point where David now had about 600 men who were soldiers who were hiding with him. And they did this for some five to ten years. That's a long time to wait when God has promised something to you. Not only was David having to wait, but those people with David were having to wait. Can you imagine the grumbling as they're hiding out in the wilderness from the king? What would you think when you're finding yourself hiding from cave to cave when God had promised you something? You see, the people there had become tired of this. In fact, many of them had wives and children. Perhaps some of them were even getting elderly, and they're there hiding on the run from Saul the king, knowing that if he finds them, they're all dead. That's not too pleasant of a way to live a life. But that's where they're at. Saul would go around the the nation of Israel, his kingly duties, 
But at a different time, he'd catch word of where uh, David was hiding. And in chapter 24, verse 1, Saul has some intel, some intelligence that says, hey, we found where David's at. He's in the wilderness of En Gedi. And so what Saul does, he gets 3,000, it says, of his chosen men. These were the elite forces. He grabbed his Navy SEALs, his Army Rangers, the people that he knew he could count on to go and find David. Now you might be asking, well, why is Saul so mad at David? Well, if you remember last week, Saul had a jealousy problem with David. You remember that little song they made of David? You see, David was a mighty warrior, and people began to sing and say, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousand. And Saul's like, man, what else are, is this guy going to want? My actual kingdom? And so he felt perpetually threatened by David. And it seems that people actually began to get in Saul's ear as well, saying, hey, Saul, this David guy is not good for you. This David guy wants your throne. You got to eliminate him. So now Saul's going through all kinds of things in order to get David killed. He takes 3,000 of his soldiers and goes to the wilderness of En Gedi. Now, this wilderness, yes, it's big, but you could find people hiding, especially some 600-plus people. And what David did when he catched word that Saul was looking for him, they would hide out and retreat into a cave. See, the wilderness of En Gedi was a rocky place where goats would live and walk up those rocky, rocky and rugged mountains. So it did provide some sort of shelter. King Saul is there. And it says in verse 3, he came to the sheepfolds by the way where, he, where there was a cave, and he went there to relieve himself. Now, in Hebrew, the word relieve himself is literally he went in and covered his feet. All this to say, this is one of those longer restroom visits. He was going to be there for more than just 15 to 30 seconds. And as things would be, which is a crazy thing, it says that in verse 4, I'm sorry, it says in verse, the rest of verse 3, now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Now just think about this. The guy who's looking to kill you, hunting you down for the last several years, is now in a cave, using the bathroom with his feet covered and no one around him, and you and your 600 soldiers are hiding out in the dark. This sounds like a pretty opportune time for you. And in verse 4, it says that David's soldiers tell David, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemies into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Like if this was a movie, all of a sudden the song Celebration Time would start singing. Or, or it would be like, you know, we are the champions. They're there in the cave like, guys, this is it. This is our opportunity to go from misfits in a cave to magistrates in a kingdom. You remove Saul, David, you're the king, we're your loyal soldiers, you're going to make us people and representatives in your kingdom. This is it. No longer pointy stones for pillows, give me the plush ones in the kingdom. These people are ready to go from rebel to ruler, from villain to victor. Like they're thinking like all this time is up. David, take this dude out. With one thrust of the sword, David could put fast forward on God's will. With one thrust of the sword, David could make himself the king. 
You've ever been in a place where God tells you to wait, but an opportunity comes in where you can rush it and accomplish what you wanted, not knowing, though, if it was God's right timing for it? What's they going to do at this point? Well, it tells us here, it says, Then David, in verse 4, arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And then afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. You see, every king would carry, have a robe with tassels at the corner. The Jewish people dressed in that way. In fact, when Erica and I were in Israel earlier this year, those who were the more religious Jews wore robes or had a scarf over their shoulders or heads with tassels attached to them. In fact, many things in the law required these tassels. And Saul being king would have likely had ornate ones, nice ones, decorated ones. And David cutting off that tassel was actually a sign and a show of power. It was a usurping of the king's power. It's kind of an insult to the king. It was a kind of saying, hey, look, I got you here. And it said that David's heart was cut. He began to become conscious ridden, realizing, man, my heart is in the wrong place in this action. So he says, nope, I'm not going to do it. And he ends up sparing Saul's life. When I read this story, I'm thinking like, David, this is crazy. Saul's a wicked dude. He is chasing you without reason. He is making your life miserable. Why are you letting this happen? You could totally remove this guy in a heartbeat. So the question I want us to ask is, why does David spare Saul's life? Why does he not DIY God's timing and become king right there? Well, David says this in verse 5, verse 6. The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. He calls Saul my Lord. He's submitting himself to the king, even though the king was wicked. He's saying, it's not my place. In addition to that, King Saul is the Lord's anointed. He's the one that God put on the throne and it's not my place to take him off it. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? David understood that were he to kill Saul in that moment, this is not military battle. This would be murder. This would be an assassination of the king. This would be treason. And how would David then become the next king, having pushed God's timing? See, what would have appeared to be faith in God's will was actually a lack of trust in God's timing. Because someone might have said, well, David, you know you're the next king. That'd be trusting God because God told you to be the king. But actually, it's not trusting God when you God's hand. See, when our, we impose our timing on God's time frame, we often make a mess of our lives, don't we? This past week, I grilled pork tenderloin out in the, in the grill. And uh, this is like the third time I've done it. I actually kind of enjoy this thing now. One thing I learned about grilling pork tenderloin is that you've got you've to babysit it somewhat if you're going to cook it good. In fact, one recipe I read is to turn it every five minutes, just a little quarter turn, with the right heat. And what I'm realizing is if I try to rush that, what's going to happen to the food? It might burn. One thing I've learned also in my years of cooking on the grill is that if you turn up the heat, the food's going to look pretty cooked on the outside. 
And when you cut into that thing, you might kill somebody, right? If it's, if it's chicken. And so this is what's happening. I need you guys to hear me here because I, I need you guys to listen to this. A lot of times, God is telling us to wait on his timing and to be patient. And we want to turn up the heat to rush it. And we might be appeared to be ready for what he's prepared for us when deep down inside we're not ready. Because it's not the way he planned it to be. In David's case, it was revenge. It was revenge because of something that made his life miserable. And David had the opportunity to repay evil for evil. You ever been there before? Where you, in your heart, say, I want this person to suffer like they made me suffer. And now it's maybe in your power to add a little bit of pain to them to make them feel the pain that they caused you. David could have done that to Saul. But that's DIYing God's timing. Because the Bible says, who is the judge? It's not me. It's not you. Ah. God is our judge. Maybe he's not with revenge. Maybe it was something altogether different. What is God telling you to wait on him for today? What is God telling you to be patient with? Don't turn up the heat and try to rush it, but wait on me. Another area that I often see many of us who follow Jesus rushing relationships. We rush into a relationship because we believe in our heart that God wants us to meet somebody, to be married. And so we see someone who's available. We think they're fine. They like us. So we think fine equals favor, right? It's like, hey, they like me. I like them. Let's go for it. It must be from God. And we jump in without looking what's inside, not just the outside. It might appear to be ready, but it's not. Or sometimes maybe you're in a good relationship. It's a great one. But that doesn't mean it's time to get married, right? See, waiting on God, what, what, what do I need to do to be patient right now? What kind of things need to take place so that I don't just appear on the exterior to be well-cooked, but inside you've developed and formed a character in me for what I need to walk into here? be it a relationship, be it into uh, a calling or a career. God, how do I need to wait on you? See, for David, he realized that this was not God's timing. It was not time to eliminate King Saul. But if you're an astute listener, you might have heard something that I've read already that's already your ears. Because David here made a choice to not kill King Saul. He says, how can I kill the Lord's anointed, the guy God put in place? How can I rush God's will? But if you remember, what did his friends tell him in verse 4? What did they tell him in verse 4? Go look at your Bibles there. They said, here is the day of what? The Lord has given your enemy into your hand and told you to do with him whatever you want. You see that in verse 4? Basically, what the other soldiers in the cave were telling David, look, David, God promised you that when he put Saul into your hands, he's giving you permission to kill Saul. This is the time. You know what I do when I see verses like this in the Bible? I look for my footnotes because there's a little verses or cross-references in many of our Bibles and will tell you where God said that. 
And I looked at the footnotes in my Bible, and guess what? I could not find anywhere where God said that to David. I looked in my other cross-references to see where God said that to David, and there were no cross-references. What I find so fascinating here is that David's soldiers were telling David that God said to kill Saul when God had not said to kill Saul. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden? When Satan came to Eve, he asked Eve, did God really say? Here we're seeing in the cave an opposite of that. It's not did God say this, but it's saying God said something he didn't say. This is what happens when we DIY God's timing in our lives. We're saying, God told me to do, and God's like, I never told you to do. You ever hear someone talk about an argument they're having, and they mention your name, and you're like, yo, 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 don't bring me into this. It's like God is there in heaven hearing this conversation. He's like, guys, I didn't tell David to say that. Don't, don't tell him to do something evil and then blame me for it. A lot of times we DIY God's will in our lives, God's timing. We blame God, saying he told me to do this. And when things don't work out, who are we mad at? God, who never told you to do it in the first place. And so what happens is, in our impatience, we take matters into our own hands. And what we thought was a shortcut becomes a road trip. You know, one of my great concerns is that many in the church in America don't know what God has said, but we're saying God has said things. How do we know when God is speaking? Well, what's clear as day is that God has spoken and still speaks first and foremost through his word, the Bible. But in our day, information gets passed without really a reading of the Bible. We'll read verses, but not the Bible. Twitter can hold 280 characters, which is about John 3, 16, and 17. You can tweet two verses in the Bible, but have you read the Bible? Yes, we can say God said that. Yes, he has, but what else has he said with that? See, when I was in Bible college studying how to interpret the Bible, a professor of mine says, a text without a context is a pretext. I'm going to break that down for you. A text without a context is a pretext. See, a text, a Bible verse, without its before and after it, it becomes a pretext. A pretext is using something to justify what you want to be said. And so if you're using a verse in the Bible to justify your actions, you're doing it because you don't know its context. But when we see the text, the Bible, the verses, we've got to get in the Word and say, what does this mean? What has God said? And not make it say what we want it to say. Every false teacher in history quoted the Bible, family, without exception. Because they've taken a text out of its context. Yes, the Bible talks about avenging God's enemies. That's a text. But they made it a pretext. So therefore, David kills Saul. Family, what is God telling you to do? 
How is he telling you to wait on him? Don't take it into your own hands. And surely don't blame God for what we do. You see, sometimes things seem right to us. Therefore, we think they should seem right to God. God's like, that's not how it works. Sometimes we make a decision and put God into it, but it wasn't him to begin with. David, though everyone was chirping in his ear, do it, do it, do it, do it. Just like people chirping in your ears, slash those tires. Get into that relationship. Purchase that thing you can't afford. You go down the list, people are saying, go and get it. It's yours. You deserve it. And God's like, no, don't do it. Will you have the wherewithal to say, what is, what? I'm, I'm hearing voices, but what's God telling me to do? David had the ability at this moment to say, no. I know some things to be true right now. I know that God gave me a promise, but I know as part of that promise, God did not tell me to force his will. I know also that this king is God's king. I don't like him right now. He's evil, he's wrong, but it's not my place to kill him and remove him. So David allows the voice of God to triumph over the voice of man when it came to waiting on him. What will you and I do? What David does, he persuades his men in verse 7 to not harm Saul as Saul is relieving himself. This also makes it difficult. I was thinking about this. It's one thing for David to be like, I'm not touching him. But the other guy's like, hey, David, you ain't got to. I'll do it for you. <laughs> That's tempting. Because then it's like, hey, I didn't do nothing. But David even persuaded them, not just himself, to leave Saul alone. Ironically, an identical story takes place two chapters later where David has an opportunity to kill Saul and one of his soldiers like, hey, David, Saul's there sleeping, a spear by his head. Just give me the word. I'll strike him. I won't even do it twice. These were soldiers. They knew what was at stake. But David persuaded them, no. David comes out of the cave after Saul has relieved himself. He begins to leave the cave. David gets out. And he says this in verse 8. My Lord the King. I'm going to read this. It's a little bit lengthy, but I wanted to get it in front of our eyes. My Lord the King. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. Notice the respect David shows a man who is very not respect worthy. I think we can learn that in our America. Verse 9. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today in my hand and in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand? For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hand. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge, notice who the judge is, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, 
Out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be a judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Hear David's impassioned plea here? He's reasoning with Saul. It's interesting to me that knowledge is God put Saul there. Family, God is a God who is in control of everything. We affirm God's providence. He not only knows every hair on your head, but he's actually numbered them and assigned them. He has, he's the one who feeds and leads the sparrows. It's, it's God who controls everything. And it's no coincidence that David and his men were hiding in the very cave Saul went into to relieve himself. But God puts our faith to the test, doesn't he? And David realized that's what this was. He tells Saul, look, I had my chance to kill you. I didn't do it. What does Saul respond? He says in verse 16, is this your voice, my son David? Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, where I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt, with, dealt, with, dealt well with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with the good for what you have done to me this day. In verse 20, this is important, notice. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. That's crazy. How does Saul know that David is to be the next king? How does he find this out? Why does he come to this realization at this moment? It's crazy because what's David holding in his hand? Part of the garments. Part of his robe. If we had time to go back to 1 Samuel 15, when Samuel the prophet tells King Saul that God has taken his kingdom away, Samuel walks away from Saul, and Saul throws himself at his feet, grabs Samuel's robe, the corner of it, and it tears. And what does Samuel tell Saul? In like manner, God has torn the kingdom from your hand and given it to someone who is better than you. Wow. Saul is there looking at one who is clearly better than him. David, you're better than me. I would have killed you. And you are holding the kingdom in your hand. What does Saul do? He says, David, please don't kill my ancestors when you take the throne. And David agrees to do that, to not kill his ancestors. What a wild, wild turn of events. It says at the very last verse that Saul went home, and where did David go? Back to the stronghold. Why didn't David go home with him? Because David's like, I still do not trust this. David was face to face with a man. I have to hear that one. <laughs> face to face with a man that was trying to kill him. Look at this. this. This I find to be remarkable. David is in a cave. Everyone's saying this man needs to die. And Saul's there 
one moment away from death. But David stood in the place, in his gap, and pleaded, spare the man. Spare the man. I told you last week, man, I read the Old Testament narratives, and I say, where is Jesus here? And family, it is so clear to me that many of us, like Saul, walk in a cave-like existence, and death is just a breath away from us. Satan and his minions are around us saying, let this person die. Kill her. Kill him. Remove them. Sin lurks around us. And like Saul, we actually deserve it. We are there in this cave. Our sin ever before us, our enemy over our shoulders and our head, accusing us of the sin and guilt we are guilty of. But praise God that there is yet another David who stood in the gap for us. There is one who became an advocate for you. You see, David gave Saul what he did not deserve, and that's called grace. David withheld from Saul what he did deserve. That's called mercy. And in like manner, Jesus is there in that cave with you. Those accusers are there. Those sin is there saying death to them. Death, death, death. Jesus says, I have come to give them what they don't deserve, my grace. I have come to withhold what they do deserve. I give them my mercy. So therefore, they don't get death. They get life, not because of anything they've done. Saul did not earn his life there, family. Saul did not plead his case. Saul did not do a good work. Saul did not do anything. But it was the mercy of David, and in like manner, it's the mercy of Jesus that saves us from our sin. And there's nothing you could do. You see, at the cross, Jesus took our sin, our shame, our guilt. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 521, that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That beautiful exchange we talk about every single Sunday here at the Brook. My sin for Jesus' righteousness. Your sin for his perfection. So when God sees you, he doesn't see the accusers. When God sees you, he doesn't see the sin. He sees the righteousness of his son. Yes, amen. First John 2 says that when we are accused, we have an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous, who has become the propitiation, that means the atoning sacrifice for our sin, so that we don't have to pay for it ourselves. I think our response to God's grace needs to be like Saul's response, where he fell on his face and wept. Family, God has given us great mercy, even when we try to DIY his will. He calls us to turn to him, trust him for forgiveness and for life, and patiently wait upon his time. The rest of 1 Samuel unfolds as David continues on the run, has another opportunity to kill Saul in chapter 26, doesn't do it. And then in chapter 30, Saul, his son Jonathan, the heir to his throne, and Israel is in war again with their enemies, the Philistines, when Saul takes an arrow to his chest and he is killed. 
Jonathan, the heir to his throne, is also killed in the same battle. David, in that moment, now has a clean pathway to the throne of Israel. He didn't do it himself. He had to wait on God. It was a tearful moment for David. If you read 1 Samuel chapter 1, Jonathan was his best friend. And Saul was still his father-in-law. But David knew, all right, this is what happens. See, family, when we wait on God, he's going to make it work in his timing. For David's case, it was five to ten years of waiting. I know some of you might be saying, man, I've been waiting on God for ten to fifteen years. And I tell you, just keep waiting on him. Keep taking his promises. Hold on to them. Maybe you're waiting on him for something he didn't promise. Go back to his word and say, Lord, what have you told me here? Because it seems right to me, but is this right to you, God? And just hold it all with an open hand saying, God, I'm going to trust whatever you want from me because I know your will is best. See, when we take matters into our own hands, we're essentially attempting to take them out of God's hands. And we need to trust God's will. See, his delayed timing doesn't mean his betrayed timing. He's just saying, wait on me. Family of God, don't DIY when it comes to God's timing. You can do it in your house. You can DIY all kinds of things. Do it, save your money. Don't DIY God's timing. Don't force his hand because you'll make a mess of something that he has in his control. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you, Lord, and we just confess the ways that we've taken matters into our own hands. We say, God, I'm so sorry. And Lord, I know some of my brothers and sisters in this room right now know that something in our lives set on a trajectory because of choices they've made, and they know it's, it's what's happened. But I wouldn't doubt some today right now even feeling some anger over, over decisions they've made, ways they've forced your hand. Some might feeling guilt and shame about it. Why did I do that for? Now I got to live with the consequences. Lord, I know that you are a God who's still a God who redeems. Lord, I know you can restore what the locusts have eaten. God, I know that through our pain, you can also have a purpose. And even through our failures, you can bring freedom. And so, Lord, I pray for that man or woman, that youth here who's discouraged because of their choices. I pray they would cry out to you, Lord. They would cry out to you and say, God, I know I made some bad decisions. Would you redeem them? It caused me to walk by faith. For that person who is right now, Lord, um, playing with fire, contemplating, stepping outside of your will and your timing to force something that you have not promised. I pray you would halt them in their tracks, God. God, I pray that they would see it so clearly. God, if there are voices in their ears telling them, go for it, do it, I pray that they would allow your voice to be louder, God. God, I pray that we would be men and women who are committed to hearing you truly, God. Not imposing our will until we think you're saying. We would say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Lead me in the way that's everlasting. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. God, may that be the cry of our heart. 
Father, for the one that just needs to repent today, I pray you would humble them. God, may we be like Saul, just crying out to you, Lord. God, it's ironic that we could be so impatient with a God who is just so patient. Lord, we know that uh, when you delay, it's because you're working something. You got a simmering. You want to form us not just on the outside, but on the inside. I pray we would trust it, Lord. We just trust you rotating us on the grill of your life. Saying, God, have your way. Lord, we give ourselves and surrender to you. Help us wait on you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you're here today, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. Um, I just want you to know, man, God is a pursuer of you. Nobody is here today in this room by accident. There's no coincidence in God's kingdom. And Maybe you just feel God stirring you to come to him. In a moment, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. Please talk to one of these brothers or sisters. Just say, hey, I, I don't know what's going on, but I feel like God's trying to tell me to trust him. Let them know. Maybe you don't know how to articulate it. Maybe you don't know what to say, but let them know, would you pray for me? And maybe God's calling you to repent. I just want to ask, man, would you be bold today about that, whoever that is? Would you just be bold to cut off what needs to be cut off, to redirect what needs redirecting? Would you be bold to even share that with somebody so that's not your little secret of repentance, but it's saying, hey, brother, hey, sister, this is what God's telling me to do. I need someone to help me. Would you, would you help me in that? I know I need that help. So let's be bold in our response to God. Would you stand to your feet? Prayer team, would you make yourself available up front? And let's sing this song as a prayer of our heart. As we wait upon the Lord, wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord, wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord, our God. You reign forever, our hope, our hope, our strong deliverer, our strong deliverer. See, you are the, you are the everlasting God, the everlasting God. And you do not faint, you won't grow. You're the defender of the weak. And you're the defender of the, you comfort those in need. And you comfort those in, you lift us up on wings like eagles. Us up on wings like eagles. Sing, strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord, we will, our God who reigns for our God. 
you reign forever. Our hope, our hope, our strong deliverer, strong deliverer. You are the everlasting, you are the everlasting God, the everlasting God. And you do not face, you won't grow weary. And you're the defender of the weak. And you comfort those in need.